Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Tonight's reading can be found on page 1215 of the Bibles. We read Book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Chapter 4, we read together from verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, we do indeed uh, praise you uh, for your love, uh, for the love of your son. Uh, We praise you for the depth of it. Uh, We praise you, Father, that here with you, uh, in your love, everything is new. Uh, Everything changes. And so, Father, we pray as your people who have been made new by your love, uh, that you would help us grasp tonight the depths of those changes and help us to live as the creatures you have made us because of your Son. Uh, We pray this for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, please take a seat. And uh, uh, please uh, turn in your Bibles to James uh, chapter 4 that Fred uh, read for us just before. We're we're actually uh, going to be looking at just two verses uh, from that reading. Verses 11 and 12 of James 4, page 1215, I think it was, James 4. And looking at uh, verses 11 and 12. Uh, As we've been uh, celebrating in uh, the songs we've been singing together as I've just prayed, uh, being a Christian... Uh, being a follower of the Lord Jesus, being someone who perseveres in this life uh, by faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, that changes everything. Absolutely everything is new and different uh, when you become a Christian. Uh, I'm not claiming that everything in life is better, uh, at least by worldly measures, nor am I claiming that being a Christian makes life more straightforward. Uh, 
but when you come to the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith, when you come to him and see that the love we have just celebrated uh, in song, see the love, the depth of it that he's shown you on the cross is enough to secure your forgiveness, uh, both from the past and the present and into the future. Enough to secure for you relationship with the God who made you and uh, gives you your next breath of air. Enough to secure uh, your eternal future with him. Well, everything is new. Uh, That is indeed the testimony of scripture. Page after page of uh, our Bibles testifies to the dimensions of change that come our way uh, when we respond to Jesus with genuine faith. Uh, Page after page. And uh, James, uh, the book of James that we are well into now as we've been going along in this series uh, is no exception. As we've gone through James, uh, we've seen this. We've seen that being a Christian changes who we are. Those who come to Jesus in faith are those, uh, do you remember it? Uh, Have a look back in uh, chapter one, verse 18. Those who have been given new birth. We're totally new creatures because we are Christians. The Father in heaven chose to give us new birth through the word of truth. Uh, Through the news of Jesus' mighty death and resurrection reaching us, through our response of faith, we have been made new and it uh, changes everything. I am no longer who I was before I responded by faith. I am no longer an independent, self-sufficient creature. Uh, If you were to ask me uh, who I am, I'm no longer just Andrew Rees, Australian, a child of uh, Jan and Jeff Rees, a holder of a Bachelor of Economics, Bachelor of Divinity, a third-party production planner for Unilever Australia, associate vicar for Christchurch Forward. I'm no longer the, the things that you would put on a CV. No, if you were to ask me who I am, first and foremost, I am a child, a child of my heavenly father because of faith in Jesus. That's who I am. I'm a child of a father who showers on me every good and perfect gift that I have. These things in my life, whether they be just things that I own or achievements or whatever it might be, they're no longer accidents of fate. They're no longer the fruit of my labours. No, my life, my breath and all else comes from, well, the hand of my father. And as a child of my heavenly father, I'm not an only child. I'm part of a family, a part of a growing family. That's what becoming a Christian has led to, new birth into a new family. They are my brothers and sisters. And that changes everything, doesn't it? It means I live as one who has family absolutely all over this world. I am a brother to many in the United Kingdom. I'm a brother to those I met years ago in a township in Cape Town. I'm a brother to people who live in Moose Jaw, Canada. I'm your brother. And what a joy it is to hear of uh, those making connections between uh, their family in Christ all over this world. Were you there a couple of weeks ago at our church family prayer meeting as uh, Neil Rogers came back, reported on uh, meeting new brothers and sisters uh, in northern Pakistan? Being a Christian changes everything. I have a new and uh, ever-growing family. And is that not especially so of this family here in Forward? Have a look around you just now. Look at those who are sitting in the pews with you. Uh, These people are your next of kin. They are your flesh and blood because of the flesh and blood of Jesus. How precious you are to me and to one another. 
Uh, we are family. How high is the level of care, of love uh, for one another? We're family. Uh, what limit could there possibly be to our care, our, our concern, our service of one another? Uh, this is a precious family, uh, worth the very blood of God's precious and only son. And so James knows that. Have you noticed as, as he writes to these scattered Christians, he doesn't write to them as a group of strangers or members of some innocuous club. No, brothers, he calls them, my dear brothers and sisters. Because he knows being a Christian changes everything. I am a child of a heavenly father and you, well, you're my family. It changes who we are, but uh, this is also what we've seen. It changes our very purpose in life. You remember, it's really the key verse that we've seen as we've gone through James. Again, back in chapter one, have a look at verse four. There it is. The very purpose of your life has changed. And no longer is our heart's desire, uh, well, it can be lots of things, can't it, in this world, a career, a a house, a a bigger house, a better house, more comfort, a a marriage, a child, recognition, whatever it might be. No, these things are very good. But faith in Jesus has lined up my heart's desire with my God's desire that I be mature, complete and lacking for nothing, that I be like his son. And being a Christian changes my heart's desire. I long to be like him. And thirdly, being a Christian changes uh, the very shape of my future. That's what we've seen as we've gone through James. How amazing is this? No longer does the future judgment of all things, and that's what James has told us, that that is where this world is heading towards. Everything will come before his throne. No longer does that reality hold any fear for me. None at all. All that awaits me is the joy of his pleasure as he sees me, a new creation made like his son. And as he sees me, he'll say, welcome. Being a Christian changes everything. And let me say tonight, if you're not a Christian and you're here tonight, it's brilliant you're here. As you look in on this Christian community, this family, you will find uh, no self-made people here. Nor will you find uh, any perfect people, though you will have worked that out already. Uh, You'll find messy works in progress. Uh, But you will find remarkable things here. You will find those who by faith claim that the God of heaven and earth is their father. You will find those who are bound to one another as family. You'll find those who who God is involved in their life and he's up to good. You'll find those with absolutely nothing to fear from the future because all that awaits them is the pleasure of a father who is making them like his son. And as you find all those remarkable things amongst us, uh, don't expect us to boast about them uh, because none of them are to our credit. Here, all is a work of grace. In fact, his word of grace. Uh, The more we hear that word, the more we heed that word, the more we are changed. But what you will also find is this. As you look around and see uh, Christians trying to persevere in this life by faith in Jesus, you'll find people who are prone to forget. Are prone to hear this word of grace that he speaks and, well, forget it are prone to think again and again that we are indeed self-made, to think that there is a better purpose for us than the one he has given us, to think uh, maybe even a better future. We're prone to heed this wisdom of heaven and ignore it and instead heed the wisdom of the world. 
to be creatures who are ruled not by this gracious word, but ruled instead by the desires of our own hearts. Uh, We've been studying James uh, for many weeks now because one of the great things God's word does for us is expose that wandering in our hearts for us and expose its effects. And I wonder if you've noticed, it's almost impossible to miss, isn't it, really? Uh, As James has gone through and shown us our wandering hearts and shown us the effect that heart has, again and again he has zoomed in on our speech as one of the effects. You see it all the way through the book. Back in chapter 1, we were warned of the danger of quick speech, angry speech. Uh, James uh, 3, a huge section there on the need to tame the tongue. And uh, just last week at the start of chapter 4, we saw the danger of quarrels and fighting that come from the desires in our hearts. And I suspect one of the reasons that James keeps hammering on this issue of sins of the speech is that we don't think it's such a big deal. Now, speech sins are respectable sins, aren't they? Uh, They're not sort of flagrant sexual promiscuity. It's not errant theology. It's not abject greed. It's just uh, a few misspoken words. A speech sin is the sin of choice for respectable Christians. Uh, But God has a very different view. In fact, God's son in Matthew 12 says that every single careless word we speak will come before his judgment seat. And so James has been like a dog with a bone and thank God he is because we know we struggle with this. And these uh, two simple verses before us tonight are going to zoom in on one specific area of our struggle with our speech and that is the problem of slander. Have a look, you see it there uh, put very simply in verse 11 of chapter 4. Brothers, do not slander one another. Well, let's have a look at it together. Firstly, the nature of slander. And then secondly, we'll see why it's so serious. Well, let me say three things under the, the nature of slander. The first, uh, perhaps most simple, is what is slander? Uh, the, the Greek word here used uh, literally means to speak against another. Uh, the sort of picture I think you need to have in your mind is a sort of a, a courtroom, the prosecutor speaking against a defendant. Or perhaps even stronger than that, uh, think about the courtroom judge speaking a a judgment verdict against another. To slander is to speak against a brother in judgment. Speaking against them uh, like a judge would, as if he has all the facts of this person's case and they've studied the facts, studied even the, the motives of their heart and now they're delivering the verdict. Here's a quote that describes this sin of slander that I read this week. It's the sin of those who meet in corners and gather in little groups and pass on little confidential tidbits of information which destroy the good name of those who aren't present to defend themselves. Brothers, do not slander one another, says James. Now it's important to see here in 4 verse 11, this is not a call against any judgment as a Christian against other Christians. Uh, Christians, I think, we're all too uh, often uh, quick to cite the words of Jesus. Judge not, lest you be judged. As soon as somebody says a, a vaguely uh, a judgment, judgmental word against us or holds us accountable, we just throw up that get out of jail free card. He says, you're not allowed to judge me. Now, James is uh, speaking about something altogether different to that. He is speaking about how we are prone to speak against a brother in judgment, not out of love for them or concern for them, but to diminish them, to bring them down. 
That's what slander is. And what causes it? Well, we saw it at the start of chapter 4. Have a look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. That captures it for us. It's the desire, desires that battle within our hearts. And ultimately, as we've seen all the way through chapter 4, our desire for self-exaltation, to make much of ourselves. And slander is one of the fruits of that desire. When we slander, we bring another down, and by doing so in our hearts, well, we feel a little higher (laughs) by comparison. Well, that's what it is and what causes it. Thirdly, under the nature of slander, what it looks like. Well, I reckon even just mentioning slander, we can think in our own minds of all sorts of experiences of either being slandered by others or being guilty of it ourselves. It's so common. Uh, For the tongue, our favourite weapon is self-exaltation and uh, slander is one of the most effective bullets. Now, slander can take many manifestations. Here's a few that I thought of this week and let me encourage you to think of others that uh, perhaps you are guilty of. I slander my brother or sister when I pass on to others a, a false or filtered report about them that shadows their character. I slander them when I come to another one with insincere concern about our brother that, so they can be concerned too. Perhaps we can pray for them. I slander my brother or sister when I impugn their motives. They only do that to be seen. They only question me because they like to make trouble. They only help those they like. I slander my brother or sister when I quickly question their commitment. I mean, picture the scene in a small group. There is the, uh, perhaps a small group leader who says, well, Fred isn't here again tonight, nothing new there. Not sure what his story is this time. Or I slander another's giving or lack thereof. They can't seem to give more to the church, but they seem to avoid, uh, afford holidays and renovations. I slander my brother or sister when I choose an area of commitment that perhaps I feel safe in. I'm doing all right in that area and I measure them by my own impeccable standard and uh, they come out uh, much worse. Which of course I'm then forced to speak of to others, not out of love but, well, self-exaltation. And perhaps the most serious, I think, of areas that we slander I slander my brother or sister when I parade their sin, their forgiven sin, uh, even though the judge of all heaven and earth has seen fit to pardon them of that sin. He's found a way to do that because of his son's blood. But in my courtroom, I solemnly inform my peers of our brother's sin. They remain in the dock in my court, even though they are free to go from the court of heaven and earth. As I dredge up their past, that God has promised to remember no more, well, the memory in my court is far longer. Well, they're just some examples. In all of this, we have again failed to heed the wisdom of heaven, haven't we? Heed, uh, remember it, the call to love the neighbour. We saw it back in chapter 2, verse 8. That is the royal law of the king of heaven and earth. Instead, we have bought into the wisdom of the world that views life in the context of, well, a courtroom of comparison where I'm forever seeking my own advancement at the expense of others. Uh, To which our God sounds this incredibly simple but serious call, brothers, do not slander one another. And in these two verses, he's going to give us three reasons why this sin is so serious. Here's the first of them. Uh, You see it in the very first word of verse 11. 
The sin of slander is serious because it denies who you are. There it is, easy to miss, that first word in verse 11. Brothers, we're family, we're flesh and blood. Joined by the crimson cord of Christ's cross. In just a few moments, we'll gather around this table as brothers and sisters. We share in Jesus together. There is no closer bond in all the universe than the one you and I share. No time or distance or distress can break the bond that we have. How precious we are to each other. How high the call of love as we saw before. How can I slander you? How can that be a way I respond to you? I would only slander you if I hear God's word of truth about who he has made us together. Hear that and then forget. Forget that you're my brother that I'm called to love. I would only slander if I've heeded the wisdom of this world that calls me to live for my own glory. That the primary love in my life is self-love. That tells me that you and I are competitors in this courtroom of comparison. That we all sit on the judgment bench, all of us. And according to such wisdom, then slander is entirely natural speech, isn't it? Slander is the action of someone with, well, spiritual amnesia. Who forgets that we're family. And in this house, one law holds sway, the law of love. You are my brother or sister, not an object of comparison by which I measure myself, not my competitor for the esteem of others. No, you are the one that Galatians 6 calls me to carry the burdens of. And so I'm not your judge, but the one called to restore you gently. I'm not uh, the one who stands in the audience along with others as you walk away from Jesus. I'm the one who's meant to walk after you to bring you back. You are my brother or sister. If you fall, I don't rise, I fall with you. How obtuse then that I would speak in a way that would bring you down before others. To to attack a brother is to turn the gun on yourself. Well, there's the first reason this sin is so serious. Brothers, do not slander one another. It denies who you are. Now, here's the second Verse 11, again, the sin of slander is serious because it dismisses God's good purpose for you. And do you remember it? Uh, We've seen it again and again. There it was, 1 verse 4. His heart's desire to conform you to the likeness of his son, that he's working through all things, even difficult relationships. Uh, That's the fertile ground for slander, isn't it? Even there, he is moving you towards maturity and completeness. And how do we line up with that purpose? Simple, we've seen it in James. We humbly accept the word he speaks to us. But to slander is to be someone who rejects that purpose. We reject the whole idea of moving towards maturity because we're happy playing these childish games. And so we slander. And by doing so, do you see it there in verse 11? We speak in judgment against the law of our king. I arrogantly say in my heart, I reject your purpose for me. I reject your law of love for the other. I choose instead to set my own self-exalting purposes. I live by the law of self-love. And so James simply says, brothers, do not slander one another. It dismisses God's good purpose for you, which can only be found in obeying the law he has spoken to you. One final reason this is so serious, and that's in verse 12. 
The sin of slander is serious because it attempts to overrule God's role as judge. Have a look, verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge? It's a wonderful verse, isn't it? There is only one lawgiver and judge, says James, quoting Deuteronomy 32. Only one who issues laws that are permanently valid. Only one whose judgments will echo into eternity. Our human courts and judgments can get it right and they can get it horribly wrong. But this judge can be trusted to do what is right for eternity. Now you have absolutely no fear that the Lord's spoken verdict on your life will be slanderous. And as an aside, I reckon this has implications, if you like, for the flip side of slander. That is the experience of being slandered by others. And when we experience being slandered by others, uh, we need to get straight out of the courtroom of those slandering us. Uh, We must not live life according to the courtroom of the opinion of others. A courtroom where we either flourish at their verdict or we're crushed by it. Uh, We need to say, as Paul does, uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, I care very little if you judge me or if any human court judges me. But of course, that's not an excuse to avoid accountability. Again, he says in the very next verse, but that doesn't make me innocent, uh, for I will be judged by God. But back to the sin of slander, verse 12 says to the slanderer, who on earth do you think you are? Your actions of slander are ridiculous. This pathetic playing at sort of proconsul, who are you? Isn't it the height of arrogance that we would not only demand to be heard in the matter of our brother or sister's trial, but then we'd assume the judgment seat in that trial and then rush to make a judgment as if we'd examine the motives of their heart, as if we could look into their hearts, see those motives and make a fair judgment. To which the real judge steps into the courtroom and says, who are you? What are you doing in my seat? Get up, you clown. Well, such an attempt to usurp God's role as judge happens when we're bereft of the humility that recognises that that prerogative belongs to God alone. Because if we're honest enough with ourselves, as we've been called to be all the way through chapter four of James, and acknowledge the state of our own heart and see how justifiably in any courtroom, the place that we should probably sit in is the dock, we'd be less prone to don the judge's gown and sit in his bench. But if we forget and deceive ourselves about our position before God and refuse to be humble before him, then we will exalt ourselves and often and by slander. Brothers, James says, do not slander one another. It is an attempt to overrule your God's role as judge. Well, let me conclude. Let me encourage us tonight to see slander for what it is. Let us be a church that brings this sort of ugly beast that is amongst us out into the light of God's word and be confronted that its presence in our lives is a sign that we are not humble enough to heed God's word. Rather, we are heeding the call to exalt ourselves. And having seen it and despaired of its presence in our lives, we need to heed the call of James 4 verse 6. Do you see it there? It's such a precious verse. We need to be prepared to submit ourselves to a God who will respond to our struggle with this sin with what? More grace. 
Well, let us come to him, the God who offers more grace, uh, as verses uh, 7 to 9 of chapter 4 entreats us with deep repentance. Now, let us be those who, verse 7, resist the devil's schemes that would push us again and again towards self-exaltation. Let us come near to God again in humility before his word that will expose us. And let us respond with serious and radical repentance, as verse 9 would have us do. Let's wash our hearts of this pursuit of our own glory. Let's grieve and mourn and wail over the damage we have done just by our tongues. I've slandered a brother who I was made new to love. How could I have got to that place? I have abandoned God's good purpose for me. I've tried to usurp his throne. Who am I to do that? And then having repented, let us start again. And because of the grace he freely offers to give us more of. Because of Jesus. And let us start again, not on some renewed quest to make much of ourselves. No, let us begin in the place that we have no reason to leave. That is humble before this God of grace. And humbly heeding his word of grace. James 4 verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, uh, there is all the difference in the world between the person who lifts themselves up and the one whom God lifts up. One will experience God's utter opposition. One will see nothing but his deep pleasure. And every day, I reckon, in a thousand different ways, we are tempted towards the wrong choice. We are tempted to make much of ourselves, to make ourselves the centre of the universe, It is, isn't it, the centripetal force at the very heart of this world. And slander is one of the ways our selfishly ambitious heart curves us towards that. And so let us take it seriously. See it for what it is together. Name the ways we're guilty of it together. See how serious it is. And then seeing all that, let us approach tonight his table as we're just about to do. As a family, and come to our Father for fresh grace that can be found in the sacrificed body and blood of our glorious Lord Jesus, the one our God is indeed plotting in all things to make us like. Well, let's pray. I'll leave a moment of quiet now just to I reflect on the challenge of these two verses and this call to abandon the sin of slander and behind it our desire to exalt ourselves and instead humble ourselves before the Lord who by his grace will lift us up. Please take a moment to do that and then Paul will continue to lead us in prayer.